0: We are now finishing up Luke 21 of the book of Luke. Jesus has been talking about the future. And as he got to the future, he started talking about the tribulation period. This is a time at the very end of the age, right before he returns, that God's wrath and judgment is going to be poured out on this earth. It's a seven year period. He says in Matthew 24, 21 through 22, talking about this period, he says, then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. So it's the worst time the world will ever see. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I think that's telling us that Jesus waited as long as he could, that God wanted to come back earlier or want to come back later to see more people saved. But the world is going to be destroyed. Man is going to destroy the world or something's going to happen. And so the days have to be shortened because no flesh would be saved, it says. No flesh would remain. Now, in Luke 21, after Jesus talks about this tribulation period, he gives us this prayer. And it's an interesting prayer. We talked about it a little bit last week. He says in Luke 21, Watch, therefore... And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So taking that in context, he's talking about the tribulation period. And then we are to pray that we could be counted worthy to escape all of these things. It seems that Jesus is talking about a pre-tribulation rapture or resurrection, as we talked about last week. That is the larger event that has the rapture or the gathering of the living Christians who will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Now, I've gotten a couple of questions here lately as to why we spend so much time talking about the last days. It's interesting. I got this question about six months ago and I knew we were coming up to Luke 21 and I knew we were going to start the book of Revelation. And so... We hadn't been talking about the last days all that much when he says, how come you spend so much time talking about the last days? I'm like, well, buckle your seatbelt because it's about to happen even more. Here's the thing. A little over a quarter of the Bible is prophecy. So as you make your way and we go line by line, verse by verse through through the Bible, we're in Revelation now on Wednesday nights. We started last week. We covered the first three verses. We're going to cover four or five more verses as we begin to get the unveiling of jesus that's what the book of revelation is it's not the unveiling of the horrible things that happen at the end of the world it's the unve- we learn more about jesus in the book of revelation it's the it's the unveiling that that we are going to know about him throughout the book and it's very powerful uh, but if you go line by line verse by verse through the bible you're eventually going to come to prophetic passages and you got to talk about them when you get there And yes, there is an interest as to these things, but I want to talk about the most important reason that God gave us prophecy here in a while. We do know, we talked about this Wednesday, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that those that prophesy speak edification, exhortation, and comfort. Some get anxiety when they think of studying the book of Revelation. They're like, I don't know that I want to study it because I don't want to hear all these horrible things. But God's given it to you so you will know beforehand that you could be edified, that you could be encouraged, and that you could be comforted as you study it. That's one of the reasons that we do that. Now, Jesus gives this prayer which looks like we were praying to escape. Pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape all of these things. And some people say, those who are post-tribulation, that believe Jesus is coming back at the end of the tribulation period, will say, well, he's just giving us a general prayer that we should be able to pray to escape all of these things in our lives. Well, that would make sense if you could take it out of its context. If you could divorce it from its context, then you could say, well, he's, he's saying that we ought to have a general prayer to escape difficulties in our lives. But the context is the last days that we would be counted worthy to escape all of those things. So I want to show you today five or six things, depending on how much time we have and depending on how much I take on each one. I want to show you five or six things that the Bible tells us that show us that the tribulate, that the the rapture is going to happen, this resurrection, before the tribulation period. Now, this is an in-house discussion Meaning, if you believe it's in the mid or pre-wrath or post-trib or you're an all-millennialist, or you are a post-millennialist, we, we extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what you believe about your eschatology does not change what you believe about your salvation, your soteriology. That's the theological term for it, that you have been saved by Christ, that you have been given eternity You're not going to get up to heaven and God go, oh, you're a post-millennialist, well, we got another place for you. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we should not let these things divide us. If you disagree with me, that's fine. If I disagree with you, that's fine. I like to hear why people believe other things. I like to know if you've got something that you believe about Jesus's prayer to pray to escape all of these things that's different than what I'm saying, I would love to hear it. I really would. You can send it to robert at calvarytucson.com. I don't answer all of the emails I get. And if I start reading an email and it's rude, I bail out. So just know that. All right. Because it's a drag to read rude emails. Will you agree with me on that? It's a drag when someone's just rude. And, and uh, hey, say whatever you want to say. Just be, just be nice. That's all I ask. It's pretty easy. Just be nice. And I can't answer all of them. So know that. I've had people tell me, you promised you would answer if I send it. No. I said I I can't answer all of them. I I, I may answer some, but I can't answer all of them. But we really, we want to be civil. And we'll talk more about that as we get into this study here. So what I want to do is just cover different passages in the Bible that also tell us that that this rapture, this strange event, this mystery, as it said in Corinthians, of some people being alive, being changed to their glorified immortal bodies. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So God's got to transform this body so I can be in heaven in eternity. The people that have died before us who are Christians are in heaven now, but they are in a spirit form. Now, remember, angels are spirits and angels can manifest in a body. So can the people in heaven who are spirits now manifest in some kind of a body? That's a question that theologians have. I don't know that we've got good answers to that, but they are in the presence of God now, but there will be a resurrection when they will be given a glorified body. That is like Christ, the Bible says. And so uh, I just want to give you these, these several points that I think show us that the rapture or this resurrection rapture happens before the tribulation period, okay? So first of all, it says that It's going to be, when Jesus appears, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Here, here's the passage. It's Luke 17, 26 through 30. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone on heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now here's the thing about both of those events. The flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah were God's wrath and judgment. The flood, because violence had filled the face of the whole earth, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't only homosexuality, it was their neglect of the poor. They were living a selfish lifestyle and Psalms tells us that they neglected the poor and that's why God judged them. The the poor were living in squalor in Sodom and Gomorrah and they were living this selfish lifestyle and so God judged them for it. Now the tribulation period is God's judgment. That's why Jesus brings up the flood, brings up the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and brings up the tribulation period because they're all God's judgment. Before God could bring the water on the earth to destroy the ungodly, he had to save Noah and his family. And so he brought them into the ark and he brought them above the destruction. There are those who will say it's not the godly that were were taken away. It was the ungodly. They'll say that Noah remained. He just floated above the destruction and he remained and the ungodly were gone. And so in the rapture, it's kind of a reverse rapture. The ungodly are going to be taken. I don't track with that, by the way. I I understand their argument, but I go, it doesn't make sense to me. Even though I'm, I'm tracking their argument, I just, I just, I just can't follow it. Noah and his family are the ones who are lifted up above the destruction and we will be caught up into our heavenly ark, as it were, above the destruction. Now, when Lot was leaving Sodom, they they dilly-dallied. Do you remember? And the angel said, come on and took them by the hand and led them out. God cannot destroy the city until you are gone. The righteous had to leave the city before God's wrath could destroy them because God wasn't going to destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. Now, this isn't it wasn't Satan's wrath. It wasn't a natural event. It was it was God's judgment. And so when the tribulation comes, it's God's final built up wrath and judgment on the world. And he must take his church out first. We are his bride. We will not face the wrath of God. We will be taken out just like they were taken out as well. Now, that's the days of Noah. Now, there's also a promise that the faithful church will not go through the tribulation. And this is in Revelation three ten. In Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. They are seven literal churches that are in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. The church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Ephesus. And then the last two churches are the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea. They also speak of different kinds of churches that are around today. And they also speak of churches in church history. And Philadelphia, the faithful church, and Laodicea, the lukewarm church, are side by side. The Bible says in the last days, the righteous are going to become more righteous and the wicked are going to become more wicked. And churches, there are faithful churches and there are unfaithful churches that the Bible says in the last days have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And God says of the lukewarm church, I will spew you out. And it's to the lukewarm church that he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open up, I will come in. To the the faithful church of Philadelphia, he says, you have a little power. Now, I don't know a church that doesn't believe they're the the faithful church. I think we are the faithful church. And I wish it said, behold, you have great strength. But it says you have a little power, which I guess we should be happy for, that we have a little power. But here's what he says to Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10. The tribulation period will start in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. It says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, God had commanded us that we are to persevere and continue on. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Notice the way it's stated I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That is going to come upon the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. It's very global. This is one of the reasons that I just can't be a preterist who say that it was the judgment of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD that fulfilled all of Revelation because there's a, it's global. It's the whole world. It's all of the earth. It's a whole global thing. Secondly, some say, well, this doesn't mean God's going to save them from it, which is what it says. But they say God's going to save us through it. In other words, we're going to get in the tribulation period and God's going to supernaturally keep you like Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. God supernaturally shut their mouths. And so the next morning the king says, Daniel, and he goes, I'm here. And the king is like, praise God, you know. And if you know the story, he's kind of trapped into throwing him into the lion's den. And here's the problem. The lions weren't put there by God. The lions were put there by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians. The wrath that comes on this world is God. And also, the the book of Revelation says that all power and authority is given to the Antichrist over the saints. So the saints that are alive during the tribulation period are not kept through it, they are killed by him, they are martyred, they are beheaded. There are many Christians who die during the tribulation period who gave their lives to Christ after the resurrection rapture that we talked about last week. And so this passage can't be saying that God's going to keep you through the tribulation period because he's given power over the saints. It says, again, because you've kept my word to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth. Now, I want to cover this quickly This next one, because I don't know how many people have heard it before, but I want to make you familiar with it. This is just to get you familiar and to give you the basic answer to it. So there are some who say that the pre-tribulation doctrine is a demonic invention. That we got it from demons and that when I'm teaching it, I'm teaching something that is demonic. Has any of you guys heard that, by the way? Just out of curiosity. A couple of you there. Not very many, and which makes me think I probably should just move on and not worry about it because the argument isn't catching traction. But here's the basic argument that Darby introduced the, pre, it introduced the pre-tribulation rapture in the early 1800s. He was a pastor named John Darby and he did write about it in 1827 and Schofield Bible did pick it up and put it into the Schofield Bible. And it's one of the reasons that it's the most popular position today in evangelicalism, because it was in the Schofield Bible, for sure. Well, they say that before Darby, that the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture was never taught in church history. Now, when someone makes that sweeping kind of an argument, out of all of church history, out of all ages, out of all the people that ever wrote anything in church history, there was never the argument of the pre-tribulation rapture. You can be sure that it's wrong. And first of all, it's an argument from silence because do we have all the writings of all the people throughout all the history and all of the different ages? Secondly, all a person has to do is find one time to prove you wrong because of the way you stated your statement. And when someone makes that kind of an extreme claim, it's like when you're arguing with your wife, And you say, you're never nice to me. Well, she is nice to you sometimes. Don't say she's never nice to me. That's a sweeping argument you're going to lose because she's going to go, what about yesterday when I made you dinner, the dinner you like? I was nice to you then. And you've been proven wrong. Here's the thing. And I'm not going to go over the data because we don't need to. There were a lot of people that taught the pre-tribulation rapture before Darby. It just wasn't the body of Christianity. Here's the way I, if I were wanted to make their argument, here's the way I would say it. I would say the teaching of the rapture before Darby was never mainstream in Christianity. That is an accurate statement. To say it was never taught is not. And you can go find lists of people that taught it before Darby and which disproves their position. And then they say that he went to go see a girl named Margaret McDonald who was given a vision and that he took her vision and that vision and she was demon possessed and that vision was the pre-tribulation rapture. But when you go and look at it, he wrote about the pre-tribulation rapture before he went to go see Margaret McDonald, and he did go to see her and her utterance. You can read just look up Margaret McDonald visionary or utterance and the Wikipedia page has her utterance on it. And when you read it, it's post-tribulation. And when i told david guzik this if you know who david guzik is he's another calvary chapel pastor when i told david guzik this david said to me so the next time someone tells me that we got the rapture from a demon possessed girl i can tell them the demon possessed girls on your team not our team i said that's exactly right in other words this is an urban myth and people keep spreading it you, you keep seeing i keep seeing videos on it now it's probably because i watched a couple videos on it on youtube and the algorithm went, oh, that's what this guy wants. So I keep seeing videos of people saying it. But I keep I keep wanting to say, stop spreading an urban myth. It's like when you hear that they were drilling in Russia and they drilled so deep that they heard the screams of hell. That is an, an urban myth. And pastors used to teach it. One pastor taught it and somebody else taught it and somebody else taught it. It's an urban Christian myth. And this is as well. Um, he wrote about it before he met her. She thought something else. He didn't believe it. Plus, he rejected this early 1800 Pentecostal movement. He went to see it and rejected it. That doesn't mean it was right or wrong. I'm just saying that John Darby himself said this is not genuine. And so why would he take anything from that and make a belief out of it if he rejected it? All right. I spent too much time on that since only two people here had heard of it. Uh, the next argument is that you and I are saved from the wrath to come. We are the bride of Christ. The tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. Let me give you a passage for that. This is Isaiah 13, 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens. <coughs> Notice this is more than global. This is like universal or, or, or it's of the universe. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place and the wrath of the Lord of hosts And in the day of his fierce anger. Now, there are many other passages that talk about the day being his indignation and his anger. He has stored up all of his judgment for that generation. And we might feel bad for that generation. But remember that Jesus said the same thing to the religious leaders in his day. All of the blood of all of the prophets that have been killed from your fathers is going to be required of you. So they were going to have to take all of the responsibility because they rejected the Messiah of all of the blood of the saints that had been killed by their fathers. And so God's been storing up his wrath. He could have poured his wrath down upon this earth a long time ago. A lot of horrible things have been done. A lot of atrocities have been done. But God will pour out his wrath in that last seven years. Now we're his bride. We're like, we are righteous by the blood of the Lamb. We're like Lot and his family We're like Noah and his family. God can't destroy, God can't bring his wrath on the earth until we are taken out of the way. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and Romans 5, 9. It's easy to remember because they're both 5, 9. Say this, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus. (coughs) Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath that is to come. Now, some people say this is the general wrath. That it's not a promise to be, and, to be kept from the tribulation period. I have no doubt that it is talking about general wrath, but the tribulation period is God's wrath, therefore we cannot go through it. Now, Dr. Ed Heinson, who taught at Liberty University, he taught 100,000 students in person. And he's one of the foremost authorities On eschatology the study of the last days he was here at our conference last March and he passed away I don't know three months ago or so a great loss to the Christian world by the way because of his mind and um, we're gonna miss him but when he was here he said for you to believe that God is going to pour his wrath out on his bride is like believing that some guy would beat his wife up for seven years or his, his, his fiance up for seven years and then say, let's go get married. And those that believe it in the middle of the tribulation period, they believe they're only going to beat the bride up for three and a half years. Now, that's a great point. It's God's wrath. Why would we in the church who are his bride waiting the marriage supper of the lamb experience his wrath? If it were the wrath of Satan, Okay, we can experience it. If it was the wrath of other people in the world, we could experience it. But it's God's wrath and judgment, so we will not experience it. Now let me give you just a couple more. There is the absence of the church during the tribulation period in the book of Revelation. (coughs) The church is mentioned in chapters 1, 2, and 3 over 20 times. And then when you get into the tribulation period between Revelation 6 and 18, there's a heavenly vision in chapters 4 and 5. And then there's the opening of the seal. The tribulation period is made up of the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and the seven bull judgments, Like bulls that are being poured out. I, I say that and sometimes people go, what kind of bulls are they? You know, no, bowls, not bull, bulls <coughs> that are being poured out. And in Revelation, you've got the church mentioned in the first two chapters. You've got the church mentioned in 19 and beyond. But from 16 to 18, the church is absent. We don't find the church on earth during the tribulation period. And I think that speaks strongly. The church also has not replaced Israel. And I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it in other places. I'll just make a statement about it. In, during the time that Israel was not a nation, it, was a na- it stopped being a nation in 70 AD, became a nation in 1948. Theology leaned towards believing that God was done with the nation of Israel, that God was not going to work with them anymore. Then they became a nation again. And there are a couple passages we should consider. Jeremiah 37, alas, for the day is great. This is a tribulation period that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob had his name changed to Israel and he shall be saved out of it. They should have known that Israel was never going to be replaced. They were set aside for a time because they're going to be saved out of the tribulation period. God's going to save them. There there will be the abomination of desolation. (coughs) Excuse me. They will realize that the Antichrist is not the Messiah and they will turn to God, receive Jesus as their Messiah. Listen to Romans 11, 25 and 26. This talks about setting aside Israel for a time and then bringing them back. Listen to what it says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel. So, it was never blindness for all of Israel. There have been Jews throughout all the centuries that have gotten saved. So, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, until the fullness of the Gentiles. So, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, God promised that he's going to restore the nation of Israel. People will say, well, there's saints in the tribulation period. And there's Israel in it Israel's mentioned over and over again and that's the church because the church has taken all the promises of Israel now I just want you to try this experiment at home let's see do you have two kids anybody here have two kids with both of your kids present promise one of your kids ice cream I'm going to go make you ice cream that was I own some ice cream too not right now (laughs) then go and make the ice cream and then bring it back and give it to the other child and see how that works That's the idea that God makes all these promises to Israel and then says, nope, the church is going to get them. It's not fair. Plus, God said, I will never forget you, my people. He said this to Israel. I've carved you on the palms of my hands. And even though a woman forgets the child in her womb, I will never forget you. So God has not rejected Israel. There's the last trumpet argument that the rapture happens at a last trumpet. And the last trumpet is in Revelation 11 it's the last of the seven trumpets. And so then it can't be a pre-tribulation rapture. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is, this is a silly argument. I look back to see if I have a water back there. I do. Hold on. Sorry. Let me get a drink before I say how silly their argument is. Now this is, this is a silly argument. It's like the argument the word rapture is never in the Bible. And I get that on social media. The word, there is no rapture. Yes, there is. <laughs> That's how you respond. Because there's no argument behind it. Or the word rapture is not in the Bible. That doesn't mean the concept isn't there. And if, if you are biblical in any way, shape or form, you believe in the rapture. So to argue that the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet is to say there'll never be another trumpet after that trumpet. There can be the last trumpet of the, the church age uh, for the Gentiles. There can be the seven trumpets of Revelation and there can be other trumpets. As if God's going to go no more trumpets after the seventh trumpet ever on Earth. If you're playing a trumpet, stop it. Put the trumpet down. <coughs> there can't be the noise or sound of any trumpet at all. So it's just not a good argument. If we're going to make arguments, let's make them good arguments. I think there are some good arguments. We just want to make them good arguments. All right. Um, One more, and then we'll look at the closing. Uh, The Antichrist does not need to be revealed first before the, uh, the rapture of the church happens. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3. And they say, well, it says that the Antichrist has to be revealed first before it. And we know that the Antichrist comes at the beginning of the tribulation period. When the first seal is torn by the Lamb who was slain, which is Jesus. The, the, oh, the white horse comes out There's a man riding the white horse Who was given a bow And the right to conquer That is the Antichrist And so if the Antichrist has to come first And we know he comes after the tribulation period starts Then we would have to be in the middle of the tribulation period When the Antichrist would come That's their argument But listen to what it says in Second Thessalonians 2, 1-3 This is their passage Now brethren concerning the coming of the Lord Christ And our gathering together to him That's the rapture. That may be a better name for it than the rapture, the gathering, because here's, that's what it says, our gathering together to him. We ask you not to be soon shaken or in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or letter or as, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. In other words, somebody had come to them and told the Thessalonians, you're already in the tribulation period. The day of Christ has come. People say that today, too. That's another one-liner I get on social media a lot. We're in the tribulation period. That's what they'll say. We're in the tribulation period. And I always say, why do you think that? Don't answer. I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're. We're in the tribulation period. If we are, then we'll see the Antichrist. So don't be shaken thinking that the day has come. Then he says this. Uh, As if the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. This is the apostasia. In the last days, there will be Christians who will fall away from their faith in a large number. I believe we're seeing that today with progressive Christianity. They are, they look at their hearts. They, They don't want to look at the word of God. Let's look at our hearts. What do our hearts say? That's our authority. God's love and, and whatever you think God would do, that's probably what he's going to do. And I, th- and I think that, and, and they don't, again, their authority is not scripture. So I think that that is the great falling away. Now, it could be wrong. Maybe it's something different. But I look at it today and think, I think that's Laodicea, the church of Laodicea. We'll talk about that in our study of Revelation. So the falling away has to come first and the man of sin must be revealed. And the man of sin revealed. The only thing it says that has to happen first here is the falling away. It doesn't say they read it this way for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed first. That's how they read it. That's not what it says. It says the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed because when the first seal is torn in the tribulation period, it's the Antichrist. So once you see him, you know it. So when people do tell me, well, we're in the tribulation period right now, my response is always who is the Antichrist? And then I have to add in, don't tell me it's Trump. Don't tell me it's Biden. <laughs> because they don't qualify. Because it's crazy how many people will say things like that. We would have to know the Antichrist is. We know we're not in the tribulation period now because if we were, it would be obvious who the Antichrist is. And so it doesn't mean he has to come first. It means he has to be there and they thought they were in the middle of the tribulation period. Now, let me give you three things in closing. First of all, if you're here today and you believe in mid-trib or pre-wrath or post-trib or you're an all-millennialist or you're a post-millennialist, it's all fine. We, we, we are believers. As I said earlier, this is an in-house discussion. So let's agree. Let's disagree agreeably. Let's disagree agreeably. So that we can see people come to Christ. Because I have no desire to persuade people to believe like me. If, if you do, or you're persuaded by my arguments, great. We really want to know the truth. Right? That's what we want. We want to know what the Bible says. And so if you go, Well, I don't agree with those for this reasons that's fine. It's okay. Listen to how the Bible says we are supposed to interact with someone we disagree with. This is 2 Timothy 2 24 and 25. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those in opposition, if God perhaps will grant him repentance so that they may know the truth. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. We are not to argue. We can share our differences. I want to know them. If you want to know what I believe, I'll tell you. But I won't try to persuade you. I'll just tell you what I believe and you can make a decision. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. Most of you, I see children in here. But for the rest of you, You're big boys, you're big girls, you're mature, you're maturing in the Lord. You can make your own decisions and we are going to have differences. If you and I agree on everything, one of us isn't thinking. And I know I'm thinking. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Number two, be ready and stay ready. And this goes with every time we talk about the last days. Be ready because we don't know when Jesus is going to return. So be ready and stay ready. And finally, remember your mission. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, it had nothing to do with persuading people to believe what we believe about eschatology. He said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep my commandments. That's what we are called to. Have a passion for souls. Care about your family that doesn't know Christ care about your friends who don't know Christ, care about your your co-workers who don't know Christ. The last verse I want to share with you is Psalms 126.6. He who continually goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, the person who sows seeds while he's crying shall doubtlessly come again rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. The sheaves are the harvest. So if you have a heart for souls, and you weep for them and you are passionate as you call out to God for your friends, families, coworkers, acquaintances to get saved, when they get saved, you will rejoice because this is our mission and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. These things are important, but they are not our mission. Our mission is seeing people saved, being filled with the Spirit, sowing seeds, watering seeds and seeing people come to Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you give us prophecy for edification, exhortation, and for comfort. Thank you that you have spoken to us in these things. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.